0: Day's scripture comes from 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 through 15. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled, mastered builder, I lay a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation of gold, silver, but only as through fire. The word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Keaton, for reading that passage for us. At this time, the kids can be dismissed to the meadow as we open our Bibles to the passage we just heard. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Well, in my junior year of high school, I made the decision to join the ice hockey team. I've always loved the sport, so I thought, why not? Being at that age, at the peak of my wisdom. My school had just started the team that year, so they weren't established. There really weren't even tryouts. You could just sort of walk onto the varsity team. Turned out even skating ability wasn't really a prerequisite. But I remember the coach said to me, how well can you skate? I said, like, you know, not really that well at all. He said, that's fine. We'll work on it. And we did. And By the way, that's one way to learn how to skate fast, join a hockey team. That's just a little life tip. File that away. And very quickly, I settled into a position that worked really well for my skill level, right bench. <laughs> I played right bench, but I was actually really versatile. So if they needed me to play center or left bench, I could do that too. We survived the team's inaugural season, barely. Thankfully, we had a few players who sort of knew what they were doing, and so I think we even won a game or two. But at the very end of the season, all of us on the team got a trophy. I hear the groans of those who uh, enter into that age-old debate about whether all kids should get trophies or just the winners, and that's okay. But whatever your opinion may be on that issue... For me, that trophy was a reminder that despite my usual role on the bench, right bench, um, I was part of the team. All players on the team got the same trophy. But there were players on the team that had extra skill, that accumulated goals and saves and hits, and at the end of each game, they would get accolades in the form of uh, a notch or a mark on their helmet that would be visible from that game on. So we all got the trophy, but those who contributed more to the team got more accolades and rewards. Now, when it comes to heaven, is it all a level playing field? Do we all get the same trophy regardless of our contribution to the kingdom? Or do some, can some expect a greater reward? Well, this is the question we turn to this morning as we continue our series on heaven. We've seen over the last several weeks what the Bible says about the promise of heaven, that our ultimate destiny as believers is life in a new heaven and a new earth in resurrected bodies. We've seen some of what we're going to be doing in heaven and how the present heaven is different from that final heaven which is yet to come. And one of the most natural questions that comes up as we have considered some of these questions about heaven is what about rewards? Scripture says an awful lot about rewards, but not everyone agrees on what those might be. But the sheer number of passages that address rewards make it essential that we touch on this topic in our series. And how we view rewards in heaven does have an impact on our lives now, how we live the Christian life. And so while we can't cover the breadth of this question in one sermon, let's dig in as best we can to see what scripture teaches us about rewards in heaven and why it matters now. Let's pray together. Well, Our Father, as we do every week, we come together to your word in a heart of worship, in total dependence on you to speak to us from your spirit, to impart the truth that you would have us to take with us, not just in our minds, but ultimately in our hearts and in our lives as we would work this out together. And so be with us now in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we dive into a passage, I think it's helpful we lay uh, get a lay of the land first in the issue. Again, as much as Scripture talks about rewards, scholars and Bible teachers differ pretty widely in this issue and how they interpret and apply them. Some say, yes, there are unique rewards that believers will receive in heaven and that that is one of our right motivations to serve Christ now. That's the view of Randy Alcorn, who literally wrote the book on heaven. On the opposite side, others say, no, we're all getting the same great reward, eternal life with Jesus, and that being motivated by rewards in this life is actually selfish and unbiblical. So quite, quite a range. And then there's views ev- anywhere in between. Somewhere in the middle is the idea, yeah, we may get unique rewards, but let's not focus on them now. So each of these views really has its strengths. But what's interesting is that how strong motivation factors into each of them. Either embracing rewards as a legitimate motivation for serving Christ or rejecting them altogether. You may have a strong feeling one way or the other, and that's fine. Rewards in heaven is certainly a topic we can disagree about. But let's just take a moment to examine our assumptions, our starting point. If you fall on one side or the other on this issue, just ask yourself for a moment, why? Is there a particular passage in Scripture that just really drives this home for you? Is it because the opposite view just feels wrong in some way? And so let's be aware of the lens we're looking through as we approach these passages. And as we get started, it'd be helpful to say one more thing. I want everyone to be very clear this morning that we're talking about rewards for believers in heaven. We're not talking about achieving heaven. We're not talking about salvation. Heaven is not at all a reward that we achieve or that we earn any piece of. So if you don't know Jesus Christ, putting your faith in him is the way to know that heaven is your future home. This morning we're talking about the question of rewards for those who already have heaven as their home. The Apostle Peter wrote that because of Jesus we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us. But beyond that ultimate, incredible trophy that we all get as part of the team, are there unique rewards? Let's do a quick survey from 30,000 feet of a few key passages in Scripture before we park on one of them. And you may want to make note of some of these to come back to later in your own study. But Jesus, of course, talked about rewards. We heard it already this morning in the call to worship, in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. Speaking to those living like citizens of his kingdom now in this fallen world, what does Jesus promise? Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. In the Sermon on the Mount, rewards are a stark contrast with the empty or temporary treasures we can accumulate in this life, assuming that many of those Jesus is speaking to don't have those temporary treasures. And so Jesus is saying, don't worry. In fact, have joy now, because your real Reward is coming. Jesus points to rewards in his parables. Two in particular stand out, often cited in this discussion. First is the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, and with it, its parallel in Luke 19, the parable of the minas. In both of these stories, a master entrusts his servants to manage his wealth while he's away, if you know the story. He gives each one of them a different amount. And they do business to grow the money while the master's away in his absence. So he comes back and then he rewards those who grew what they were given with these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. And in the same way in Luke 19, the faithful servants are given greater authority depending on how much they grew what they were given. And they were given authority over cities in that parable. But in both stories, the one who did nothing with what they were given received nothing and were harshly cast out. This parable is often used to support the view that we get differing rewards in heaven, just like we see the servants in the parable get differing rewards based on faithfulness. In other words, if we're faithful over little in this life, God will make us faithful over much to varying degrees in heaven. But those with the opposite view like to cite another parable, the laborers in the vineyard in Matthew chapter 20. In this parable, the master hires laborers in the morning to work in his vineyard with the agreed-on pay of one denarius, which was a day's wage. But then he goes out later in the afternoon and again later a third time in the day to pick up more laborers to work in his vineyard, and he sets them to work as well. At the very end of the day, he lines up the workers and he pays them all one denarius. Now, those who worked all day, of course, were not happy with that, were they? They complained, but the master reminds them in this parable, they agreed to that wage and the master is free to do what he wants with his money and to be generous. So some take from this parable that Jesus is saying everybody gets the same reward, uh, whether you've been working all day or whether you're a latecomer to the kingdom, you all get the same thing. I don't know what you do with these parables. At first glance, it seems like this is a pretty big contradiction, doesn't it? But as usual, the trouble is not with the Scripture, but in the way we interpret it. We need to remember parables are stories that most often have one main point. They're not meant to be dissected in every detail. And while both stories seem to say something about eternal reward, we can't make them say more than they do, We certainly can't build a doctrine of rewards out of either one of them. And as an all-Bible study, we fall into danger when we proof text, when we pick a passage that seems to support our view and we ignore the ones that don't. But let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you're not already there. 1 Corinthians 3. Let's see what Paul here has to say about this question of rewards in this context. He's speaking here about, First, about ministers and church leaders and the way they build up the church and contribute. But it applies broadly to all believers, as Paul will soon change this context and broaden it to apply to all believers with this image of a building that we're all contributing to. So 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. There is a lot here in this short text, but let's pull out just a few things. First, Paul warns us, he says, be careful how you build. Christ alone is and must be the foundation that we build on. But as you build on this foundation of Christ, Paul says, be careful As you do good works in service of Christ, Paul puts them in two categories. First, things of lasting value, gold, silver, precious stones, and then wood, hay, and straw. Things of little value that don't last. So, sort of like Paul's version of the three little pigs story. The wolf was able to blow down the house of the pigs that used the wrong materials, right? A house made of straw or sticks is worthless, And in the same way here, every good, any good work done in the Christian life is also worthless when it's done from wrong or selfish motives. It doesn't last. But for Paul, it's not the big bad wolf, but it's the day, capital D, that reveals the quality of our works. That day is the final day, the day of the Lord that scripture talks so much about when Christ returns to set up his kingdom. On that day, we learn, even believers will be judged. But note here, not judged in condemnation for our sins, since Jesus took care of our sins on the cross once and for all. But we're going to be judged for our works, our service for Christ. Paul says it later in 2 Corinthians 5, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due, for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So while this is not a judgment of condemnation for the believer, it is still a day we should take very seriously. If it didn't matter, Paul wouldn't have warned us to take special care how we build. Fire, he says, will test our work. Again, this is not fire of judgment. It's fire of purification, of testing. Fire is final. There are no redos on this day. What is useless will be burned up, and the lasting service for Christ will remain. Paul says in verse 14 that if our work survives that fire, we will receive a reward. But for those of us whose works are totally burned up, he says in verse 15 that they will suffer loss. Notice very clearly it's not loss of salvation. Paul clarifies that right here. He says, he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. This is sobering. This should make us pay close attention. Even as believers saved by grace, forgiven, cleansed of sin by the blood of Jesus, we can still in some way on judgment day suffer loss. What's the loss? Well, clearly, whatever reward we could have had and don't receive. Most importantly, loss of giving more glory to Jesus Christ with our lives than we did. And so if we take Paul's words at face value, combined with many other scriptures on rewards, if some believers suffer more loss than others, it follows that some will receive more reward than others, doesn't it? We don't know exactly what the rewards are, but we have some clues. Talked a few weeks back about believers ruling in heaven with Jesus and many believe that this factors into our, this is part of our reward, the level of responsibility, the level of privilege we have in ruling with Christ. We see crowns mentioned a lot in the New Testament. Some different types of crowns mentioned by name. Here's just a few. The crown of life. James mentions that. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. There's the crown of glory. Peter speaking to the shepherds of the church who serve faithfully, he writes in 1 Peter 5, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory and the crown of righteousness. Paul looks toward the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and he writes, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth is laid up for me the crown of righteousness Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now, we don't know what form these crowns may take and how they might be symbolic of other specific rewards, but think less of them as trophies to line up on your heavenly mantle and more of what they represent, more of who gives them. The amazing grace of God at work in our lives. Brings about the rewards in the first place. So this brings us to this issue of motivation. How much should we focus on rewards in the Christian life now? Is it a right part of our motivation to be faithful, or is it selfish to even think about them? It's really common for restaurants and businesses these days to have reward points or loyalty cards. Points accumulate to earn you discounts or to earn you free stuff. I'm just curious, how many of you are deeply motivated by reward points? I see a few honest people. Thank you. Thank you. Now, my family's favorite ice cream shop has a reward system. Now, don't get me wrong. Ice cream is its own great reward. But I will say the rewards don't hurt. I mean, the logic is simple. Why would I settle for a lesser dessert? when I could be earning points toward more ice cream. It's a win-win. So when we pull through the drive-thru, I lock eyes with the cashier and make sure they get my reward number. I don't want to lose those points. I want to keep inching closer and closer to free ice cream. Now that's me. The rest of you are looking at me like I'm crazy, maybe if you can't relate to that. But in the Christian life, some believers think about rewards a lot. It's a deep motivation for them. Others don't think about them at all. I don't think we can be too dogmatic on this issue, and probably it's right not to be. But that doesn't mean, again, that it has no impact on our lives now. Whatever we think about eternal rewards, however we fit all these passages together and make sense of them, let's consider a few biblical principles that we can be dogmatic about that might help us connect some dots and make application. Principle number one. Christ is our ultimate treasure and reward. The greatest thing about heaven is that Jesus will be there. The thief on the cross who put his faith in Christ moments before his death was not disappointed when he got to heaven. He got way more than he deserved, as will we. Looking forward to rewards in heaven is fine until it distracts us from the giver of the reward. So in our view of heaven, we have to be sure that Christ is at the center. Christ is foremost. Principle number two, faithfulness to Jesus matters in this life. Faithfulness matters. Salvation is all by grace, and so is the Christian life, but it's a total misunderstanding of grace to think that what we do doesn't matter. Read James, read Hebrews, read Jesus or Paul the rest of the New Testament, and the Old Testament. As the great theologian Russell Crowe said in the opening scene of the movie Gladiator, what we do in life echoes in eternity. There's truth to that, isn't there? Our actions have consequences, not just now, but as we heard in 1 Corinthians 3, on the day of judgment, before the judgment seat of Christ. So let's allow this truth to rekindle a passion for Serving Christ, for pleasing Christ with every moment of our lives. Drawing on his provision to be faithful in whatever sphere of influence he's given us. Because the key is not how big our sphere of influence is, but that we're faithful in it. It could be bringing a meal to someone who needs it. It could be sharing a simple word of encouragement with a brother or sister to say, here is how Christ is at work in you. I think we'll be quite surprised on that day of judgment to see what kinds of things remain and what kinds of things are burned away. As many of our proudest moments and our greatest accomplishments turn to ash, what's left might be some small act of kindness you don't even remember. But God used it to impact someone for Christ. And that thing, that act, that act of worship, that act of selfless service will remain and be like gold and silver and precious stones for the glory of Christ. Because our faithfulness matters. Everyday decisions that we make. In our relationships that we're seeking reconciliation the way Jesus teaches us, it matters. Principle number three. It's all about the heart. It's all about the heart. When we talk about motivation, we know rarely is our motivation in anything totally pure. So we need to be prayerful that God would help us to serve him out of a pure motivation of love. And we need to be very careful about falling into pitfalls or extremes. We can fall into pride saying, look how great I am. I'm going to get so many rewards on that day. We can fall into complacency thinking our works don't matter. We can fall into shame. These scriptures aren't here in the Bible to make you feel less than or that you'll never measure up to other believers. We need to focus not on the past, but on right now, this present moment, how Christ is at work to grow you now. And however you think about rewards, is it pointing you to the gospel? Is it fostering the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Because what matters here is less about our view of the details of rewards in heaven. And what matters more is our growing joy and our growing freedom in serving Christ for his glory. And as we check our hearts now, let's remember that our hearts will be different then. Our hearts will be different in heaven. In heaven, we won't be jealous. We won't be resentful of that believer who might get more rewards than us. Instead, we will only praise God for his work in that person. Can you imagine what that will be like? And with the Spirit's help, we can start living into that new heart now. Which leads us to our last principle. Number four, we need Christ's provision to serve him faithfully. We need the provision of Jesus to obey, to be faithful, to please him. It all comes back to grace. It all comes back to his work in us. Our works matter, yes, But it's not our self-effort. It's not mustering up all that we can try to achieve in our own strength. Instead, it's yielding to his work in us and through us. When we get a hold of that, it becomes so much less about us, what we can earn, what we can get, what we deserve. We become freer to serve him faithfully and to give him glory. I brought with me a clicker. For dog training. Anybody, dog people here ever use one of these before? See some of you have. So when our dog was a puppy, this was very useful to us in training her to obey our commands. The idea is really simple if you've never seen one before. You give the dog a command, they do it, you click it, maybe give them a treat. It very quickly associates in their minds right behavior with the reward they want. So you say sit, they sit, You click it. Good dog. Give him a treat, maybe. Now, I've heard that for some dogs, very quickly, the click alone becomes the reward. And I had to dig this out of the cupboard. We haven't used this for our dog in many years. Because over time, a a dog learns to obey to please its master. And any reward is just a bonus. And there's an element of spiritual maturity here where relationship takes priority over reward. As we grow in our relationship with Christ, as we see more of his beauty, his love, his glory, the more our eyes are on the master and everything else fades to the background. Now, our dog still loves treats, even though this we haven't used this in years. It's fine for us to look forward to rewards And even to have that as part of our motivation for serving Christ. But as we grow in our faith, we serve our master ultimately to please him. Our eyes are fixed on him. We want to please him. We want to bring him glory. And whatever reward he may give us on that day is incredible. But it's just a bonus. Let's pray together. Our Father, we give you thanks for our sure hope of heaven that we have all because of Jesus, who set aside the glory, set aside his privilege in heaven to give himself for us. And just like the thief on the cross, forgiveness is far more than we deserve, and yet you give us all these incredible promises of heaven on top of that. And even the promise of eternal rewards is all because of your work in us and through us. And so we give you praise together this morning. We give you the glory as we will one day do more fully and more purely in heaven. And so would you grow our longing for Christ, our ultimate treasure, our ultimate reward. Renew our commitment to be faithful to you in what you've called each of us to do, in our spheres of influence in our lives together with one another. Help us as a church to encourage one another to love and good deeds. Give us this eternal perspective to give our time and give our attention not to empty and temporary things that compete for our hearts, but to that which will last on the day we stand before you. In the name of Jesus and for his glory we pray. Amen. Let us stand together.